Hey, welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons, and as always, we are so glad to have you with us here today in the House of Faith. In just a moment, we're going to take you into family night. Now, if you've watched the broadcast before, you know how we do it around here. Once a month, we get together in this room. We fill it up with people. We fill it up with praise. We fill it with the Word of God. And this month in family night, we want to show you something. We spent some time looking in the Word at the significance of seeking and how seeking God always comes first. So whatever it is you're about, to do in life right now. Whatever step you're about to take, whatever move you're about to make, you need to know seeking comes first. And there's a promise from the word that those who will seek first, they will prosper. So Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your word today and we ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. Thank you for changing our lives with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's watch this. Let's go to family night. He said, after all these things, the Gentiles seek. I saw another translation today that said the unbelievers. After all these things, the unbelievers seek. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, maybe you've heard it before. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's going to happen? And all these things will be added to you. Now, when you put these two verses together, like so many scriptures in the Bible do, it's this dividing line, if you will, between us and them. Now, who do I mean by us and them? Us being born again, full of the Holy Ghost, children of the Most High God, know who He is, know who we are in Him. That's us. Amen? Bible-believing, Bible-quoting, that's us. Who is them? Everybody else, everybody that ain't, everybody that's not. And right now in our society, when so much is being made about our differences, if you see it right now, our differences are being magnified. And that's all racism is or, or this genderism, this thing that's going on right now. And, and it's not just race and it's not just gender, but it's every imaginable division between people that the devil is trying to, to try to draw attention to and magnify, magnify, magnify in the eyes of people until we start thinking we're so different. But the greatest difference that could possibly exist between two human beings is not racial, it's not gender, it's not economic, it's not socioeconomic status, it's none of that. The greatest difference that could possibly exist between two human beings is one's born again and one's not. That's the biggest possible difference that could ever exist between two human beings. And that difference is supposed to be night and day. That's why Paul talked about it like that in those terms. He said, we are, not of, we are not of the night, we are of the day. That's the kind of difference there's supposed to be between us. It's a night and day difference. And what Jesus said here in verse 33 is one of, if not the biggest main differences between believers and unbelievers. This is the dividing line right here. He said, after all these things, they seek but you seek the kingdom of God. This is one of the biggest differences that's supposed to be between a believer and an unbeliever, a difference in what we seek. It's a difference in what we seek. Now, 
up in here and up in church, you start talking about seeking and there's a real spiritual connotation to it. There's a real spiritual approach to that word seeking, but the word itself is not really spiritual. It really just means, if you look it up, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Because what you're thinking about is going to eventually give way to what you're talking about. It's going to give life to what you're talking about. How do we know what's been on your mind? We listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Because what you think about, think about, think about, think about, very soon you will be talking about, talking about, talking about, talking about. So the word itself, seek, is not necessarily a spiritual word because that's why Jesus said after all these things, these natural things, food, clothing, shelter, the basic needs, after all these things, the Gentiles, they seek. In other words, that's what they've got on their mind. That's what's pervasive in their thought life. That's what's coming out of their mouths. Where am I going to get this? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to put clothes on their back? Where am I going to get it? How am I going to make a living? This is what's coming out of their mouths because this is what's on their minds. And this is what the word seek means. But you can make the word seek spiritual if you just turn and quit seeking something natural and start seeking supernatural. And Jesus said, this is supposed to be the difference between you and them. It's what you seek. It's what's on your mind. And seeking God and seeking the kingdom of God certainly includes prayer and talking to him. But what you need to understand tonight is it's not limited to just prayer and conversation with him. The night before Thanksgiving, 2009, Sarah and I were in the first little house that we owned when we got married. And uh, we'd only been married, I guess, uh, a couple of years at that point. The night before Thanksgiving that year, we were laying in bed. The lights were out. and Both of us just laying there on our back, looking up, staring into the darkness. And we just start talking. And we just start dreaming about one day having our own, our own ministry, our own place our own family. And by that, I mean, uh, not just natural family, but the people you do life with and, and people to serve God alongside. And, and I got to be honest with you, as we sat there and talking, talking about it, I wasn't even sure I was allowed to be having these thoughts because I was on staff with my family and serving my parents and my grandparents. We both were, but something was coming up out of us and it didn't take long to realize I'm laying there listening to her, but this is Jesus talking and he's speaking to me through her. And then as I begin to speak, it's Jesus speaking through me to her, through her to me. You see what I'm saying? This exchange is taking place. What's happening? We're seeking the kingdom. Now we're not laying there praying, oh, heavenly father, we seek thee, we seek thee, we seek thee, we seek thee. There's more to it than that. It's what's on your mind. It's what's in your heart. It's what's coming out of your mouth. And I look back on it now and what we're in the middle of right even now at this moment is the result of the seeking that started that night all those years ago. And what Jesus is saying to you here is that there is very clearly prosperity attached to seeking. Isn't that what he said? All these things would be added to you. Now, don't, don't be guilty of having a small understanding of what prosperity is. It's not the stuff. 
it's, it really has more to do with how you got it than the stuff itself. Because there's a big difference between what God added to you and what you added to you. And most of what you and I add to ourselves, you might have stuff, but it is not prosperity. My grandfather's famous for saying it. We've adopted it. If faith in God can't get it, I don't want it in my house. That's really the right approach, isn't it? If I can't get it through faith in the word, through faith in God, through faith in what Jesus has done, then really do I want it? Do I need it? Do I have need of that? See, prosperity is the result of it being added to you, not you adding it to you, him adding it to you. And I want to show you something tonight. You're there in 2 Chronicles, and we're going to end up there in chapter 29, but let me show you a few verses. Remember what Jesus said, seek when? When are you supposed to be seeking the kingdom? First. Everybody say it. First. Seek first. Don't just see that word first and think of it simply as to-do list number one. Because if you just think of it in a numerical sense, you'll, you'll approach it, you'll approach seeking God like you're checking a box. Okay, did that, now what? Did that, now what? Prayed, now what? Sowed, now what? That's not... It's not first just in the sense of first in the order of things. Think about it like this. First in the sense of preeminence, above anything else, but not just above it, in it. So many people get hung up on, you know, what's the right and the proper order of things in life? Is it God, family, ministry, God, ministry, family? And they're thinking of it in a one, two, three sense. I want you to approach it in a different way. I want you to put... God and the kingdom of God in the middle and anything and everything else needs to find its life coming up out of that. And, and not just something that you do and move on from. So it's not God, family, other stuff. It's God and the kingdom of God and that giving life to my family. How do I approach family with the mindset of kingdom? How do I think family and kingdom. If I'm kingdom motivated, if I'm, if I'm kingdom minded, then that will affect the way I live in the context of my family. Don't think God family work is no, 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 no. It's God and the kingdom of God in the middle of it. And how does the kingdom affect my job? And how does my job tie into the kingdom? Part of the seeking that, that Sarah and I are doing even right now is Lord, what's our place and our assignment in the kingdom, that's how you put the kingdom first. It's in everything. It's not something you do and move on from. It's something that you carry with you into every facet and every element of life. Look at this from uh, chapter 26. I really got a kick out of a lot of these guys. I like this in chapter 26 about King Uzziah. It says in verse one, all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king of his father instead of his father, Amaziah, 16 years old. Most of us were just learning to drive. And this guy was being made king. Jehoshaphat, wasn't it Jehoshaphat was king at, was it eight? Is he the one I'm thinking of? 
One of these guys was eight years old when he was made king. And there's something, there's a common thread in here, and we're going to see it again in a moment. But David said it like this. God, you are my God, and early will I seek you. That's exactly what Jesus said, seek first. That's what early means. But early is not just a reference to a time of day. It certainly could mean that early in the morning, but early just means early. Early just means before later on. It could be early in the day, sure. It could be early in the process, whatever process it is, early on in life, early on in whatever season you're in, early on, early stages of a relationship, early, early, or that's the time to seek, early, before, later, seek. I look around and there's multiple generations represented in this room, and the youngest among us could question any of the eldest among us and say, is it better to seek God earlier or later? And every one of the eldest among us would say, early is better. Seek early. Seek before the challenge. Seek before the pressure. Seek before the mess. Seek in the early stages. Seek early in life. This King Uzziah was 16 years old. And it says about him in verse five, he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him what? Made him what? Prosper. Somebody better scratch that word out. That, that can't be right. That dirty, filthy word, prosper. God made him prosper, but when did God make him prosper? As long as he sought him. And you could read the rest of his life and he did not seek him forever. And as soon as he stops, so stop the prosperity. So what comes first, prosperity or seeking? Seeking comes first. Seeking comes early. Okay, do you find chapter 29? We'll spend a couple of minutes with this one. I like this. In chapter 29, this is about King Hezekiah, which if you're interested, that is not the right way to pronounce his name, but we're going to stick with that. I don't want to butcher it. Verse one of chapter 29 says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. Somebody say early. Verse two, it says, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Listen to what it says in verse three. In the first year of his reign. What year was this? The first one. In the first year of his reign, in the first month. So first year, first month. When are we supposed to be seeking? First. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the East Square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Other translations, I think maybe the King James says the filthiness. This young guy, young king, in the first year and the first month of the first year of his reign, got it in his heart to reopen the temple. It had been abandoned, and you could see here, you can tell what kind of state it was in. Rubbish, trash, filthiness. It was so full of false gods and other gods from other religions. And this young guy, now, he didn't get it from his dad. You could study the history of it. He did not get it from them. 
He got it from God. And he got it on his heart. We're going to clean this place up, carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For your fathers have trespassed and done evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord our God. And they've forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps and have not burned incense or, off, or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Verse 10, he said, now it is in my heart. That is so huge right there. That's the key to this right there. He said, it's in my heart. Nobody imposed this on him. Nobody required this of him. It came up out of his own heart. It's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Verse 15, skip down there. It says, they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. I mean, just get a picture of the kind of place, the kind of state this place was in. This is not good. This is the temple of God. This is that place that David and Solomon built with billions of their own dollars out of their own treasury and more and more and more that poured, they poured their whole heart into this. And God's people had let this place just dwindle down to a ruin. Can you imagine the amount of work that was in front of these guys? You could go back and, and look at the little team he put together. I counted them up today, 14 guys, 14 guys. Now they got a few, all of them, but it was not, it was not a big group of people. It was a big job, but not a bunch of people. I mean, I just want the Holy Spirit to paint a picture of the kind of state this place was in. And they went in, they went to clean it out. Verse 17, they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month. Man, they went to work right away on this. Check this out. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. That's impressive, huh? Then they went to, the, to King Hezekiah and said, we've cleansed out the house of the Lord God, the altar, the burnt offerings with all its articles and the table, the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz and his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. This, this, you see this sanctified, sanctified coming up over and over. This was not, you know, go wash your hands before you eat. This is a process given to the people by God, and it was lengthy, and it was detailed, and it was involved. And still they got it done. Do you notice the time frame they got it done in? Verse 20, King Hezekiah rose early, early. He rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went to the house of the Lord. Skip to verse 25. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with the cymbals and the stringed instruments. This goes on for a little bit. He's talking about this band he put together. This guy was about to throw down with a opening day celebration and party. He put together the band. He brought in all the singers. 
Hezekiah in verse 27 commanded them to offer burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, the king of Israel. So all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And this continued until the burnt offering was finished. They might think, okay, that probably took a little bit, right? We've, we've got a sacrifice. We've sacrificed the animal. We put him up there. Let's light this thing on fire. You sing and we'll worship, right? A few minutes here. That'll be good. Listen to this. Where did that go? Verse 31, Hezekiah answered and said, now that you've consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. The assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. Now remember, he said, y'all sing till we're done with the offering. This went on and on and on and on. What am I saying to you? Seeking God is not a one and done kind of thing. You don't come to the end of it. It, it infuses your worship. It infuses your offering. And this is who he's looking for. Everybody with a willing heart. And you might talk to a lot of pastors and you say, what's your goal for the, for the tithers in your congregation? How, what kind of participation would you like to see tithing? Oh, we want 100% tithing. We want 100% giving. No, you don't. What you want is everybody with a willing heart. Because if you've got somebody with an unwilling heart giving, God's not receiving it. Neither should you. What we want is willing hearted giving. People who are seeking God in their offering, seeking God in their worship, putting his things first. There's so many good things in this. Just skip down to verse 35. Let me draw your attention here. And it says this, also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings, with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. That's miraculous. This is what I want you to see tonight. And this is what I believe the Lord's saying to us. When you get serious about seeking, he gets involved. And this huge project of sanctifying this temple and cleaning it out and cleaning it up that probably in the natural could have taken months. And remember, these are not in the days of heavy machinery. These are in the days of, hey, pick that up and move it over there. <laughs> and it got done in 16 days by 14 guys. That's miraculous. It was so miraculous that all the people, it said right there, they rejoiced that God had prepared the people and that the events had taken place so suddenly. Folks, this is, a, this is a facet of prosperity. When you begin seeking God and he gets involved in whatever you're setting your hand to and time is sped up and your effectiveness and your productivity is sped up and all of a sudden you're getting more done in a shorter amount of time than you were able to in whole years gone by. 
What's, what's that the result of? Your lightning fast mind, your ability to market, your ability to cast such great vision and stir the hearts of people. No, it's the result of seeking God. That's what it is. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.